Welcome, welcome to Not a Hoax, Not a Dream. I'm your host, Ben Rathbone. I have today some special guests. I have Dr. Gordon Schmidt and Dr. Saeed Islam. How are you doing today? Good. Happy to be here. <laughs> doing awesome. great. Awesome. You're both the authors of Leaders Assemble. Is that the full title? Leaders so, uh, Assemble, Leadership in the MCU. <laughs> awesome. Which is what it sounds like. It's a take on leadership and, and what we can learn about it and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What brought you together to, to write this book? And tell, tell me a little bit about it. Well, Gordon and I are big nerds and we're, we're friends and we talk about uh, comics pretty often. I think, I think every day we have at least some semblance of a comic book conversation, whether it's about Spider-Man, whether it's about you know, the Avengers or somebody else, or, you know, kind of like movie news that comes up. And so there came an opportunity from Emerald Publishing. They have a series of books about uh, leadership and pop culture called the Exploring Effective Leadership Through Pop Culture series. So there's a Star Wars book, there's a Harry Potter book, there's a Lord of the Rings book. And so they were looking for proposals for new books about pop culture and leadership. And we immediately thought Marvel Cinematic Universe is a great example of this. Let's do it. And they accepted our proposal, and then we ended up writing it. So lots of steps in there to get to this idea. But the series editor, Dr. Mike Yurick, he came up, you know, he helped develop this idea about using pop culture examples. And Gordon and I are both professors, and it's tough to connect with students about this topic. A lot of students don't have, like, formal leadership experience. But as, as longtime nerds, we've been arguing about who the best leader is or who the strongest is, Right. We both agree. I think Photon best best leader of the Avengers, right? <laughs> I yeah, do like Photon. Yeah, I haven't I haven't <laughs> read it. I haven't dug into those comics as much as I'd like, but the ones I have read are very good. Yeah, good so choice. She's, yeah, she's she's like our, I think our our personal fave. And then you know we thought this is this is going to be really exciting, really cool to do. Cool, cool. Yeah. And this is, the, I guess the field is called IO psychology. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're both industrial organizational psychologists. So that's the psychology of the workplace. And so we look at all kinds of things related to how can people be more effective at work? How can we increase worker well-being? Uh, and so, of course, leadership fits into that type of area. And that's, you know, a big part of the book is kind of teaching some of those concepts, trying to get them to be understandable to everyone, because a lot of academic articles are pretty dry, pretty boring. And some of them, even we don't really know what they're talking about. <laughs> so we're, we're trying to bring it to people using using Marvel and talking about these movies that we love and that a lot of people, you know, re really resonates with them. People have opinions on everything, right, Rel related to these. And so using that to kind of talk about leadership and who's a good leader and why. Well, we think it's fun. Uh, we think it's a good way to help people to kind of learn this stuff that's important for our world and what it does. That sounds great. That, uh, you were generous to share the introductory chapter to the book. It, it, it seems really interesting and looking cool. forward to, to reading the rest. So, yeah, I brought you here today. We're here to talk about James Buchanan Barnes, Bucky Barnes, the sidekick of Captain America, who, if we're talking about leadership in Marvel Comics, the MCU, Captain America is definitely at the top of that conversation. So, yeah, any general thoughts before we jump into Captain America Comics number one about Captain America, Bucky, how you feel about them? So the movie, the movie Bucky and the, the comics Bucky are really different. 
they're they really are. different. Like that Captain America comics number one. I I was like, what is spoilers? Up with that? We're getting to that. So. We're, we're getting to that. Yeah. So it's, it's very <laughs> very different. In the well, we in can... the movies, I I actually really like that they aged him up a little bit. So in the mm-hmm. films, it makes more sense that they're friends. Their relationship is a little bit different, and so the loss is experienced differently when when he loses Bucky. It's a very different experience, and you know, getting him back, I, I think it works a little bit. You know, just on an emotional level, it works a little bit better. And from a comics perspective, I don't know if you felt this way, Gordon and, and Ben, but Bucky was one of those characters I never thought would return. You know, it was like Bucky oh, yeah. and Uncle Ben, never. right? You, you know, mm-hmm. you just never thought that anybody would bring him back. And so... Gwen Stacy as well. <laughs> Gwen, yeah, that's that's true. Gwen Stacy, too, was another character. I thought like... become Deadpool related. Yeah, and, I, <laughs> and Jason, Jason Todd's kind of thrown in there too sometimes, and they're all oh, they're Jason all back in, in one form or another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gwen Stacy, I guess, is like kind of a a different twist on it in a different dimensions, but mm-hmm. but the yeah, other ones, are I just, guess, she's technically dead, right? But right, yeah, he's all over the place for a dead person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's um, yeah, and that's kind of what this podcast is about: is is all these mm-hmm. characters they die for storytelling reasons, and and they come back for storytelling reasons. Or sometimes for, you know, monetary reasons, just to kind of like mm-hmm. sell the comic. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, th- I think there's something interesting about the way comic books handle death and resurrection. I haven't figured out what that is yet. Maybe when I do, the, the podcast will be over. But but until <laughs> I figure it out, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll keep going. Yeah, I, I do have a theory about that, actually, yeah. uh, now that you bring it up. So, mm-hmm. uh, so my wife and I talk about comic book and comic book movies because um, she is forced to, I mean, she, she's willingly going to see all the Marvel movies with me, right. you know, but she watches soap operas, or at least she used to watch a British soap. And one of the things that we kind of bonded over was the fact that there, there is this soapy element to when characters die, when they come back, how they come back. Because the the storylines in comic books are as zany as some of the storylines in soap operas. So there's, I, I think there's that connection to when people come back, why they come back. Yeah, well, I've just, I've been starting reading the Hellfire Gala recently on Marvel Unlimited. It's so interesting mm-hmm. talking about, oh, the X-Men don't really die. That We could just, Krakoa, we could just bring everybody back. Which is such a weird dynamic because the comics at least... You get a lot of threats of people dying or you get a lot of like, you know, these t- not a hoax, not a, as the, the mm-hmm. podcast, right? Because this is like a big deal. And so it's kind of interesting to be like, nope, not really a big deal. We all got, we got backups. We're, we're ready to go. And I, I'm, I'm curious how that really affects comics because, yeah, people don't die. And if they do, they might come back in 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years. That's just how comics work or like three days as some of the characters mm-hmm. do. Yeah. I, th- I think that was kind of a, a genius move to take the X-Men comics. Cause that franchise is probably the, the largest offender when it comes to characters mm-hmm. just dying and coming back. And it just stopped having an impact after a while. So just taking that completely off the board, it forces kind of like other stories to be told and other events to happen. So I like that. I don't know how long, that will be the status quo, but I think they can get a lot of good stories out of it while while it is. Not, not Die is weird, too, because I was reading some Eternals comics, I think the Kirby ones, mm-hmm. and at least for the original Kirby ones, the Eternals can't die, but if they get brain damage, it doesn't get fixed. <laughs> right, that's terrible. So, like if you right? do, if, so it's actually like you can't die, but you can definitely become a vegetable pretty easy as an Eternal, at least how Kirby 
conceptualized, which is like the weirdest way to be like, you're immortal. You won't be able to do anything. You're all of your, <laughs> you'll be in terrible shape, but you're immortal. Is, yeah. uh, I feel like later Eternals is a lot more like you live forever. You can't, you can't die. You get re- resurrected. Not that mm-hmm. the movie went in that angle, but it's an interesting concept of like, yeah, you'll, you'll be in a lot. You'll, you'll be living hell for you, but you're, <laughs> you're still alive forever. <laughs> is interesting. Yeah. Talk about interesting stories. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you need good character. Development, plot, and uh, milk. Yeah, you definitely need milk. Plot, character, um, and um, and milk. A year before the bombing of Pearl Harbor, Timely Comics publishes the cover of a comic depicting a flag suit character punching Adolf Hitler in the jaw. The comic is Captain America Comics number one by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. It's the USA in 1941, and in the timely comics world that will one day become the Marvel Universe, the U.S. has already entered the war, I think. As the youth line up to volunteer in the armed services, sabotage is afoot. Two German spies have infiltrated the army and wired explosives to a building labeled American Munitions Incorporated. After one of them presses down on the recognizable trigger, the building explodes. If those were the only spies who managed to infiltrate the American defense infrastructure, it'd be trouble enough, but there's plenty more where they came from. In Washington, President Roosevelt meets with trusted officials to discuss a plan of action against the enemy espionage. He jokes that perhaps they need a character out of comic books, like the Human Torch, to help them rout the spies. Editor's note. FDR is, of course, talking about the android Human Torch from Marvel Comics No. 1, as covered in Not a Hoax, Not a Dream, Episode 0. This suggests that Marvel Comics No. 1 was published in the fictional universe Captain America Comics No. 1 is meant to take place in, which is confusing. End note. Jokes aside, FBI head J. Arthur Grover does have a rather unconventional plan. The top secret details of this plan can be found behind a strange curio shop in a shabby tenement district, presided over by a frail old woman. But things aren't what they seem. Within the walls of the curio shop, there is a state-of-the-art laboratory, and the woman isn't frail or old after all, but is a beautiful young agent in disguise, codenamed X-13. X-13 and a group of FBI agents and army men watch as a historical procedure takes place. On the other side of an observatory room is a skinny young man and an old distinguished scientist with a needle. Just earlier that day, the young man, named Steve Rogers, was turned away by army recruiters for his shabby physique. But after being injected by the scientist's needle, a remarkable transformation occurs. A serum courses through his blood, fortifying his muscles, igniting his neurons, making him stronger, faster, and more intelligent than a man could ever hope to be through normal methods. Roger's new name is Captain America, and he's the first of an entire corps of super agents in the employ of the U.S. government. Or he would have been, if not for the spy who swiftly assassinates the scientist who developed the serum. He apparently didn't leave any notes, so... That's it for that. At least we still have what's left of the serum in a vial, so maybe somebody can reverse engine. Ah, nope. The spy shoots that too, so what are you going to do? Captain America gives the traitor a good sock and a solid wham, and the spy tumbles into some lab equipment where he, quote, becomes enmeshed in powerful coils of wire which, like bands of death, cause a million volts of electricity to burn out his life. Soon after, Captain America gets a costume, you know the one, pretty much the same, and a shield that's less round than the one he'd have later on. He gets to work, busting spy rings and preventing sabotage to the nation's infrastructure. 
the flag suit soldier makes headlines, but no one knows who he truly is. In his civilian identity, Rogers is a private stationed at Camp Lehigh. One day, Bucky Barnes, mascot of the regiment, approaches Steve, excited to talk to him about the newest Captain America exploit he's read about in the newspaper. Boy, how I'd like to meet that guy. I wish I could be like him. Maybe you can, Bucky. Maybe you can. Later that night, Bucky drops by Steve's tent, but barges in unexpectedly while Rogers is donning his Captain America costume. His cover blown, the captain does the only logical thing he can think to do. He tells the child that they're partners now. Yep, Bucky gets his own red and blue costume and joins Captain America in the field against those elements seeking to overthrow the U.S. government. But can this seemingly normal boy keep up with a chemically enhanced super soldier? I, I guess we'll find out. The answer turns out to be, more or less, maybe? In the duo's first published mission, they stop a group of Nazi saboteurs, and when one of the villains attempts to blow up everyone in the room, including the captain, Bucky intercepts the bomb and sends it safely away. Next, Captain America and Bucky face off against a strange Nazi commander in his plot to demoralize the U.S. by assassinating key generals and admirals. Bucky gets kidnapped and nearly murdered in this story before Captain America saves the day. Finally, in their last adventure in Captain America Comics No. 1, the duo contend with a dangerous assassin only rumored to exist, by the name of the Red Skull. Captain America tells Bucky to stay behind, fearing the Skull to be too deadly an opponent, but Bucky instead chooses to track down the Fiend himself. The plucky sidekick manages to do so and finds the Skull's hideout, but is discovered, beaten, and kidnapped. Again, in the process. Luckily, Cap isn't far behind, and he busts through the door to save his young partner. Red Skull escapes the brawl, and in their next battle, the Red Skull gets the better of Captain America, knocking him unconscious. It'd be the end of the Captain if not for Bucky's interference. Captain America rouses himself and knocks the Red Skull out, breaking open the man's garish mask. It turns out it was this guy named George Maxon of Maxon Aircraft Incorporated. He accidentally poisons himself and dies, so clearly we can say that's the last we'll ever hear of anyone named the Red Skull. But the work of Captain America is never done as they plunge into new exploits against America's enemies. Watch for the next issue. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned it before, Cy, but Captain America Comics number one, this is the first appearance of Captain America and Bucky, and they're they're wildly different in, in this issue, especially Bucky from the MCU. I'd never read this before, but it was really interesting kind of digging into it. Any initial thoughts about it? So my my first reaction, and I'll be I'll be interested to see what, what you guys say to this. There's definitely a Adam West Batman vibe from the way Captain America talks to to Bucky in this. I really feel it's like, hey, chum, you know, it's it's very very much that that kind of traditional what we think of as kind of childhood comics kind of uh, relationship, and the age gap is very pronounced between the two of them. So there's he's more like a dad or like. A weird uncle that takes you on adventures. <laughs> yeah. Somebody somebody <laughs> resurrect somebody Get resurrect Wertheim. <laughs> Bring him back from the dead to to cancel comics. Like if but you definitely... covered everybody's head with a bag, I'd be like, oh, this is a golden age comic and it is it is very questionable with modern sensibility. Yeah, you know? definitely. Uh, especially one of the, there's like a story in the middle here that that is very some of the caricatures of the yeah, it, it, it's a little uncomfortable reading these in, in the day and age and we are. Yeah. Uh, now for sure well i'm looking at bucky like bucky they're just like we got a kid he hangs out you found out my secret i guess you're gonna have to fight villains till you horrifically die 
Like yeah. Bucky doesn't have any training, it seems, or like he's very young and has no training, which is fascinating. It's like really uncomfortable. <laughs> As a father, too, I'm just like, oh, wow, this, yeah. is, this is insane. Yeah. But his yeah. title is mascot. Do you remember? Did you notice that? Oh, yeah, that, yeah. That is his his title. So apparently children, like random kids, I guess, are being used by the army as mascots. What What does that mean? Yeah, he's the mask. I think they say he's like the mascot of the camp. And I was kind of curious what that meant, too. I don't know if that's an official thing or, or they all just kind of said like, hey, this this kid is I don't know why he's there if he's not an official like soldier. But but and then all the soldiers just kind of say and, that and he's then he, like, our mascot. I don't know. Steve basically adopts him. Right. It's just like he yeah. hangs out in my room. And yeah. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if it was this episode. I, I might have read the second issue, too. But there's like we sleep in beds next to each other and Steve is comforted by he's next to him or something it's like it's really bad like it's it's very questionably freight it's very questionably yeah, yeah the relationship's a, a bit strange and it is kind of immediate just and, and you know this is how all these old comics are is everything happens so fast there's no you know pacing because it's just they got yeah. a story and they just tell it but yeah it, it's basically like you said he just notices captain he just sees steve dressing as captain america and captain america immediately and it, it, it just takes place in like four panels says well i guess you know my secret identity so now you're my partner and Bucky's thrilled about this. He thinks this is like the best thing in the world. And yeah, they just go from there. So that, that I guess that's is, just... Is the, Bucky for... a peeping Tom canonically? Is that is that how he discovers <laughs> Steve's secret? Like, is that... We never happen? find out why he came to his tent. Because yeah. uh, he was talking to Steve on the page before that. But then he just kind of... He goes to Steve's tent, goes in there and says, Hey, I remember, but we never find out why he's there. So Very maybe... Questionable. Yeah, maybe maybe he was just purposely spying. Yeah, we, we don't know. Yeah. Uh, the the other thing is that when I think of sidekicks, I think of Robin, right, and Batman, and like I think over time Robin has become more important, and we've got Nightwing, we've got multiple Robins, and you really think of Robin as this is an amazing teen who's greatly trained, who's if not as powerful as Batman as a fighter is, you know, pretty close, right? The mascot here is like Bucky doesn't seem trained very much. He's like I can kick somebody in the shin. <laughs> or like I might just like fall over and get kidnapped. Robin, you feel like he could protect most adults fine. This is not child endangerment in the same way. But Bucky is just a child. He's just a child that needs help. And he's got a death pact with Steve because he knows his <laughs> secret. Like it is it is really uncomfortable to see. Like it just looks horrible on that. Like to you, you're right, because at least they set Robin up as a acrobat. Right. They established yeah. that he's an yeah, acrobat. He's so he, he, yeah. he at least has a skill. He can at least jump out of the way if somebody tries to hurt him. But but Bucky, they don't. He, he's just a kid. That and that's the retcon we're going to get. Right. Yeah. As we get towards further through episodes, it's like Brubaker's like, oh, he's he's 16 and the greatest fighter at the camp where we teach 16 year olds how to fight to the death. I don't I don't know what's going on there, but they at least try to make it like, oh, yeah, this yeah. this kid, this kid's a badass. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah if, this kid ain't a badass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll no, he's not. We'll 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 get into that when we get yeah. to that issue. But when Brute Breaker decides to bring him back, I mean, it's pretty quick that you have to mm -hmm. retcon a lot of all of this because yeah, it just yeah. doesn't make sense. You have to you have to say that yes, he has been trained. He's he's actually exceptional mm -hmm. at fighting and combat. In the else. MCU, is Bucky actually older than Cap? I, I, no, they're they're the same. Are age. they basically the same age? They're the same age. Yeah. yeah. They're like the same he feels kind of like the bigger brother a little bit within the setup of it. But yeah, it does seem yeah. like they're the same age. But it's really interesting. Bucky just keeps getting older from era to era. 
Yeah. Well, in the movie, uh, Steve is kind of a wimp, and that's that's the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. Whereas Bucky isn't. Bucky can actually. So Bucky defends him, and then and then that's yeah. reversed when Steve. It's a very so that's kind role. of the, yeah. which is more interesting, definitely than what we get here. Although I'm sure it was you know cool at the time. If you're a teenager picking this up, I'm sure it was mm-hmm. neat to see. Hey, I could be partners with Captain America. This seems so much more doable than being Robin, right? So Robin, mm-hmm. it's like Robin is a perfect fighting machine. Mm-hmm. I think as a 12-year-old could be like, oh, I could do what Bucky does, kick someone <laughs> in the chin once and like fall over. I, as a kid, I don't think you think of the danger of it. But man, like, yeah. yeah, this feels like I was like, yeah, I could do that. I'm slightly incompetent. I can I can, <laughs> I can, can help Cap, I guess, live in his tent with him. It's, it's I, interesting. I can be kidnapped. <laughs> yeah. it, it's funny that that issue of training that you brought up, Gordon, is so f- is amusing to me because there's a part in Captain America Comics 1 where Bucky is following somebody down these stairs. And he basically says, you know, in movies, when you go down these stairs, there's always something exciting that happens. And it's just, did, did nobody tell you where to go? Or And he's, a part of the Captain America comic oh, yeah. story is Steve just like leaving him and then him going off to do his own thing without any any training like there's there you know there was a episode later where he is trying to help steve hunt down the red skull and he goes off on his own and oh, yeah, he's I was gonna like, solve it on his own type stuff like yeah. legitimately like, is, i can do it i got no training i'm 12 it's like <laughs> oh man what are you doing bucky like i don't yeah i don't know how that yeah i was sending Sai. i send Sai all the time like screenshots of panels from comics and i was sending it for this because i was just like this kid's gonna die before this episode this issue's done like, I don't know how he's going to make it through three stories or four stories or whatever. It's yeah. it's shocking to me. <laughs> yeah, I was really interested in how well he, he would actually hold up in combat. And it's very mixed results, right? Because he gets kid- he, he gets kidnapped. And I think at least two of these kind of Captain America mm-hmm. one stories. One of them, he does save Captain America. He saves him against, I guess, the first Red Skull gets the better of Captain America. But but Bucky jumps in there and saves him. So mi- mixed results, but but definitely has the feel that he shouldn't be there overall. <laughs> yeah, I think there's also a question here and we're going to see as we go. But there's this question of agency where Bucky really lacks agency, right? He's just a prop and so- and something to like move the plot forward. And I think it's to me, it's it's tragic. And as we see later ones, it's still true where it's just like, well, Cap needs somebody to get kidnapped or to help a little bit here and there. We need like a second character to do this. Mm-hmm. And it, it just continues yeah. on with the other ones too. Well, it's also really interesting because the the one of the funny things in the comic is that Captain America is, as Steve Rogers, he's a private. So he's getting yelled at by his like superior officer. And this is like the time period of command and control leadership, just like yell at somebody and they go do it. Mm-hmm. But then... As Captain America with Bucky, I don't think Steve is that much better. He just kind of tells, gives him orders and doesn't, I mean, I don't think he's giving him, a, giving Bucky a lot of guidance. You know, he gives him oh, some, yeah. some support and things like that, but it, it's not what we would, in a modern sense, consider a, a mentoring relationship or anything like that. So it's more like, hey, chum, where did you go? Hey, you little rascal, right? He calls him a rascal <laughs> a bunch of times, <laughs> you know? You rap scallion, what have you been up to? Oh, so it's yeah. uh and, and sometimes I wonder if you could have replaced Bucky with a dog in, in the in the episode. Would would it really be that different if he was a pet rather than a, a little kid? He could have thought balloons still. Yeah, oh yeah. The dog's like, Oh, maybe there's some sausages down these stairs. <laughs> the red skulls there. <laughs> like I don't think it functionally changes much. I agree that's with you. A, that's a good what if, you know. What if Bucky was a dog? Bucky's a good it. name for a dog. Yeah, it that's is. True. 
Oh, the other thing I was going to say with this issue is I didn't realize Cap has a secret identity. So he's just like a private who's supposed to be like cutting yeah. potatoes and he just disappears to like beat Cap. And then they're back like, ah, you didn't finish the potatoes. And you're like, I think it's three days later. Like, <laughs> can you get fired as a private? Like he, it's such a weird thing to think of Cap as just my secret identity as Captain America that nobody knows. Like I thought people at the base would know, but it's just, yeah, he just runs off. I, 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 it really is weird. It makes no sense. I was wondering that too. Like, how does the secret identity work? Because yeah, that wouldn't, that wouldn't fly if you're a private and you just, you know, I, I assume you have to be there most of the time, but it's not, but, um, you know, yeah. A lot of the time he, he's Captain America. So how does that work? I, yeah. I, and, I, and I feel like Cap has become more of like, oh, he worked for, you know, the government during World War Two, mm-hmm. but he very much is that superhero who's got a job, but is also a superhero on the side, which just does not work in an army. I don't think, you know, like Peter Parker is a photographer and so he can do whatever. But I, if I'm working nine to five, I can't just run off and fight the Red Skull for a few hours. and Nobody's going to notice. But that's legitimately that's what Cap's doing in an area where you think there's a lot more monitoring than even a normal job. And so it's really, it's such a weird fit. Like I kind of understand why it happens based on the era, but it's, it's madness. <laughs> the funniest part about that is his, his superior officer at one point says, I wish I could meet Captain America. That's a real, like that's a real soldier or something. And it's just, it, it was like one of those, you know, almost like Lois Lane, Perry White moments where so you're not, comic moments. The Flash. Yeah, like The Flash. Yeah. The Flash yeah, is I, Iris or whatever. She's like, I wish I could hang out with The Flash, not you, Barry Allen. Like, it's just every comic of a certain era just has that same thing where everybody loves the superhero and the person who looks kind of like them without a mask. They're like, why are you a bum? <laughs> it's fast. Right. And it's just like, they can't tell them if only they could. I do think the pace was very, very fast. And I mean, they get through like literally like three stories in, in this one issue. Uh, but it's also because they go through the, the comics so quickly, it actually impacts the style. So they have the three by three, like nine panel layout in the comics for the most part. And I think that's partly a function of, hey, we got to burn through all this story and, and get through these three stories to get to, you know, get people to buy the book. So I found that really interesting, especially because I was reading the the Ms. Marvel trades a couple weeks ago, and she fit Shocker for like four issues. And that's like one day or a couple of hours. And this is like the exact reverse where it's like, oh, we did we did a year in one issue. Hey, mm-hmm. so it's, it's really interesting to see how different these eras are. I am a Shocker fan. I'll have to I'll have to get to those comments <laughs> eventually. Yeah, worth worth kind of noting before we move on. This is uh, so it's Joe Simon and, and Jack Kirby, who will then later on, of course, be a part of the the creative team that that brings him back in Avengers Four. Jack Kirby. Yeah. Well, and Captain America was part of the reason they both left Marvel, uh, yeah. because they were supposed to make money from each issue, and then they're just like, nope. So Simon, you know, didn't really come back. Kirby needed money and came back to you know create the Marvel universe. <laughs> but it's it's yeah captain america is a crucial part of their path which is interesting mm-hmm. yep uh, yeah i love the uh i love milk 
So my dad, who's literally never texted me about someone I'm interviewing ever, he wanted me to tell you that he thinks Captain America Winter Soldier is the best Marvel movie of all time, and I quote, it advances character arcs, not just plot, and it functions in part as a political thriller with terrific fight scenes. It's a kick-ass superhero movie. What would you say discerns a kick-ass superhero movie from a generic one? I love your father. As the United States enters World War II, U.S. comic book publishers fill the newsstands with funny books about superheroes fighting the Axis threat. One of these books is Young Allies, where Bucky Barnes himself leads a team of children against Nazis and their coalition. Bucky continues his adventures with Captain America as well. But after the war ends, flag suit heroes and superheroes in general go out of style. Captain America and Bucky Barnes briefly return in a book in the 50s, but it's mostly forgotten by the time a new collection of superheroes are introduced by Marvel Comics in the early 60s. The Avengers, Avengers number, four. number 4. Gloriously written by Stan Lee, grandly illustrated by Jack Kirby, gallantly lettered by Art Simic. Namor, the Submariner, is in a bad mood. He's got a lot going on. First of all, the hordes of Atlantis deserted him, then his buddy the Hulk deserted him, leaving him to fight the Avengers all by himself. Now he's just kind of swimming around in the ocean, hoping that the vast endless depths will cheer him up. But they don't. In fact, nowhere in the vast endless depths of the ocean does Namor find peace. Eventually he finds himself in the North Sea, where he discovers a group of Inuit gathering around, praying, and bowing before a shadowy figure encased in a block of ice. You know what's better than a block of ice? Me. Namor. Namor begins terrorizing the assembled people, swinging around the frozen figure and scaring everyone off. He immediately regrets his actions, however, and degrades himself out loud for lashing out and fighting people without provocation. Despite this, though, he doesn't apologize or even, like, leave. No, he destroys the ice floe everyone was standing on and hurls the mysterious figure into the sea. Where? The Avengers find it floating underwater. But wait, didn't Namor swim for a while after fighting the Avengers? So why are they up north too? Were they following him or whatever? In any case, Giant Man reaches out and grabs the thawing body, pulling it into their submarine. Giant Man and Thor are initially perplexed by the colorfully garbed blonde man before them, but Fashionista the Wasp recognizes the costume immediately. It's Captain America. Iron Man confirms that it must be him. But what is his body doing out here in the Arctic Sea? Before anyone has the chance to conjecture, Captain America awakens with a jolt, crying, Bucky! Bucky! Look out! The bewildered soldier leaps up in a wild frenzy, screaming, You can't kill him! You can't kill Bucky! I won't let you! I'll smash you all! The Avengers barely restrain him, and a tired Steve Rogers kneels to the ground, coming to his senses. He remembers now. It's too late. Bucky is dead. Nothing on Earth can change that. Rogers' emotional outburst doesn't last long, as he remembers himself. He dons his mask and shield and takes on the poise of a soldier. Who am I? For a moment, I had almost forgotten myself, but I am not lucky enough to forget forever, to forget that I was once the man the world called Captain America. Here's the thing, though. If this is Captain America, why is he so young? Is he really Captain America after all? The only way to settle this is for them all to fight. Cap dodges Thor's hammer, pushes Iron Man out of the way, and does this kick thing against Giant Man. But then Wasp appears before him, and correctly assumes the captain wouldn't want to hit a girl. Steve cools his jets. The fact that he kicked all their asses convinces them that he's the real Captain America after all, and they all get to talking. Cap explains the last events of his life that he remembers. He and Bucky were on the tail of an explosive-filled drone plane, stolen by a shadowy villain in the background of the panel. 
Cap announces that they would need to let the plane go and rejoin the chase in a plane later, but Bucky refused to give up. He leapt onto the plane against his partner's protests. Cap followed after but couldn't quite make the jump. He yelled for Bucky to let go, that the plane could detonate at any moment, but before Bucky could listen, the aircraft exploded, with him still on it. Cap screamed in grief and anguish as he was caught in the outer radius of the blast. He tumbled down into the sea, not caring whether he lived or died, the thoughts of his failure the last thing he remembered. Captain America surmises that the ice must have kept him in suspended animation. His tale now over, the captain takes a nap as the Avengers ship sails for New York. Upon docking, the Avengers are welcomed by a mass of the press, eager to hear of their latest exploits. Before the superheroes can say much, however, there's a blinding flash, and the Avengers are turned to stone. Seriously, they're, they're all statues. The press figure this is some kind of prank the Avengers are pulling, and walk away disappointed. Shortly after, Captain America comes from above deck, and takes in the world as it appears 20 years in the future. The fashions, the skyscrapers, the UN, the cars, the statues of the Avengers in weird unnatural poses, much has changed about the New York City he remembers. With the aid of a helpful citizen, Cap checks into a nearby hotel and experiences television for the first time. He drifts off to sleep again until the sound of an approaching person wakes him. He assumes the newcomer is Bucky and exclaims, You've come back! Bucky, you've come back! But the young man before him is a different teenage boy by the name of Rick Jones. Jones tracked down Cap because the Avengers are missing, and word on the street is Captain America was the last one to see them. Turns out Rick is the spitting image of Bucky, and seeing him has reignited hope in Captain America's heart. He agrees to help find the Avengers, and the two are able to track down a man with a strange gun seen on the scene earlier that day. Cap beats up a bunch of goons and corners the man with the gun. He unmasks the man, revealing him to be a broccoli-headed green alien. Long ago, the alien's ship crash-landed on Earth, and he wandered the world, hoping someone could help him dislodge the ship from where it was stuck at the bottom of the sea. But everyone was freaked out by him and tried to kill him, so Brocklehead was forced to use his stone ray to turn people into statues, thus creating the legend of the Medusa. Fast forward centuries later, Namor the Submariner promised Vegetable Head to help him with his ship if he turned the Avengers into stone. Captain America counters Namor's promise, saying the Avengers will help Green Man if he frees them. He agrees. True to Cap's word, Thor is able to lift the ship free through the power of cosmic magnetism. But before they can celebrate, Namor arrives with a brigade of Atlantean soldiers who apparently are now once again loyal to him. Fight! As the Avengers take down Namor and his forces, Captain America awaits on the sidelines, analyzing their moves, calculating strategy. When Namor reveals his hostage, Rick Jones, the captain leaps into action, tangling with Namor, a foe who threatens to overpower him. Before we can see the result of the struggle, the sea erupts in an explosion as the Vegetable Man's ship launches into the sky. Namor's forces retreat, leaving one final thing to be done. Iron Man and the rest of the team officially welcome Captain America to the Avengers. Yeah, let's move on to Avengers 4. This is a Stanley jack Kirby joint. This is one I, I had also never read. I don't know if you had read this before. A few times. Okay. Yeah, I, I I read a lot of older comics, but for some reason never Avengers. So this this was Which kind is, of a... makes sense because the I reread I read the first eighty issues of Avengers. It doesn't get good for fifty issues at least. I I would <laughs> I as far as this if this if this issue is kind of a, a standard of that I I would agree, but I, nonetheless I did enjoy no, reading this it. This is a good one. Okay, this is right. one of the best issues of the early. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> 
I gotta say, I, I gotta say, I enjoyed reading it. I, I mean, if this came out on the stands nowadays, it, I, I did enjoy reading this a lot. It was just so fantastic and wacky, and and I, I I couldn't really predict what was going to happen. Seeing the panels, kind of of Namor finding Captain America before, but mm. I didn't really expect what would happen after that. There's an alien that has some sort of super camera that can turn people into stone. So he turns the Avengers into stone. And then Captain America has to team up with Rick Jones to to like none of that I, I knew about. So it, it was it was a bit of a treat. This this was a good read. Yeah. And Rick Jones, also uh, age more age appropriate teen to be involved in superhero hijinks. I think he's 16, right? Yeah. Uh... Gordon, or, or is he is he of legal age? I can't remember. Um, I don't know. I'm what sure, is. Cap knows. <laughs> Cap, Cap knows the age of consent in every uh, yeah. in every state. So Cap immediately yeah. is just like, "You're the new Bucky kid. I got some clothes <laughs> for you." Like it is, it is uncomfortable <laughs> that panel, which yeah. is weird because so much of Cap is defined by this idea of Bucky died and I'm mopey and I'm out of era. But in the first appearance, by like, I, I think I'd said you saw it was something like six pages he goes from bucky's gone i'll never love again and he's like oh rick jones <laughs> it is such a weird he's like you can be my mascot except for i won't let you because that's what ends up happening but it's well, so weird well rick jones actually is like the inspiration doesn't he he says that he's like oh you're the you know i'm not gonna despair because you're here rick jones it was such a weird yeah we, such well, a weird rick moment jones, too. rick jones come on better than snapper car that's about it that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> <laughs> you know rick jones was like the teen sidekick for so much of the marvel universe it, it's, for, it's yeah nuts, right like you know the hulk cap he just he bounces around he was with like quasar for a little bit i think oh you know, captain marvel he was yeah. connected to captain marvel mm -hmm. for a while yeah mm -hmm. yeah with the That's mega bands thing. right like he was the guy the mega band. Yep. get rid of rick jones get captain marvel it's a good trend. yeah his first appearance uh bruce banner saves his life right and that that's oh the yeah because he's yeah. like let's yep. hang out where the nuclear testing's going on it was a different yep. time but still a bad idea right so <laughs> bruce had to go save him and that and that's why he's the hulk so that that was kind of their connection and after that it just he kind of uses his resume you know he puts the hulk on his resume and he goes to all these other superheroes and becomes their sidekicks so, so yeah. it, it's funny you say that because a big part of our field, industrial organizational psychology, is about hiring the right person. And if somebody's resume as a superhero or superhero sidekick was the first guy I worked with became the Hulk because I <laughs> I screwed up, that seems like a, that seems like a bad that seems like a bad choice. Like that's a red flag. Yeah, I meant yeah, more the experience of him sidekicking for the Hulk. But yeah, he would leave that part out. <laughs> he wouldn't talk about that in the interview. How would you like to get, be gamma radiated superhero? <laughs> uh, you know, does it, that does that seem like a good idea? There's a lot of people that radiation. Um, Amadeus Chow got it. Every, everybody's got the uh Doc the, the radiation that hang out with no. the Hulk now. Rick Jones has been the Hulk too. Oh you yeah, know, yeah. There are a lot of Hulks now. There's it's, so many it's, Hulks. It's, it's kind of crazy. Thunderbolt Ross became the Hulk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did Betty was... become a Hulk too? I can't. I don't, probably. I think, I think she was, uh, it was like the siren or something. It, uh -huh. she, she was some kind of Hulk creature. She was like this bird 
green bird thing that flew around. Uh, Are you okay. serious? I believe. I think so. I, I, ben, I honestly, the way yeah. you're describing that, it's like it's like somebody took magic mushrooms and started writing <laughs> Hulk comics. And like, I like, wish you made you were making this up, but I feel like you you are not. That's I, I don't think I am. I think it's, I haven't read the comics, but I do remember seeing that she was some kind of yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah, my Marvel Unlimited is going to get a workout now. I'm going to just type in <laughs> Betty Ross Bird Green and see what right. comes up. She Hulk, She Hulk is good. Yeah, yeah. but She Hulk is cool. Yeah, yeah. So I feel really bad for Bucky in this issue because, like, he gets fridged, you know, off screen. He's like, "Oh, he died in some time on World War Two. He makes Cap sad. So it's real again. It's you know, complete lack of agency, right? Mm-hmm. It's 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 fascinating. The issue that really makes this seem like we all know about how Captain America and Bucky died when it just is made up. And they'll do this in a couple more issues with Baron Zemo is they're like, Zemo, he's the one who did it. Doesn't get mentioned in this issue. Doesn't exist. Stan just comes up with him in a couple. He's not from the golden age. He's just a new dude that got thrown into this another retcon storyline. Because, yeah, Cap was like fighting in the 50s and stuff, fighting mm-hmm. comedies. And now it's just like, nope, didn't happen. Cap's back from the 40s is is interesting. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, you know that leads to a lot of other retcons, right? There was the the, the guy in the fifties ends up being a, a bad Captain America that goes goes insane, right? I think mm-hmm. I feel like that's a story that yeah, came yeah. out in the eighties or nineties, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes one of the interesting things about comic storytelling is the process of retconning, uh, and and we're going to talk about a big retcon with Bucky. Sometimes that really yields some cool and interesting stories because the writers kind of paint themselves into this weird corner, and then they're like, well. I guess I got to build a new corner, and so I think that that's always kind of fun, even even though we know it's it's nonsense and and is not really what the continuity should be. Yeah, that's I mean that's part of the why reason I, I love comics is that it's such a collaborative style mm. of storytelling. Every comic is more than one person involved, so there, there's multiple artists usually, and then there's a writer usually. Each subsequent creative team kind of builds off of what people have done before. And it's just, you don't really see that in many other mediums of, of, of storytelling. Yeah. It's just, mm-hmm. very, it's interesting, I think. But yeah, Bucky's demise here is kind of explained away in, in, in one page. Um, like you're saying, it's not clear who the villain is. You kind of just see this like little shadowy guy in yeah, the corner yeah. of one panel. And he's just, he's, he's saying a bunch of villain jargon, but you don't know who he is. And then uh, Bucky just jumps onto this plane to try to, I guess, save it or bring it down and cap tells him not to but he just goes for it cap apparently somehow can't get to the plane bucky made the jump but cap didn't somehow and oh that and... scene makes no sense in that comic like I don't right know right that's kind of what i'm like, getting like, at it's like a... and somehow bucky makes it i don't know right right it it's unclear whether on they're on the same you know i love jack kirby as an artist but this, but this page there's a lot here that i don't really know what's happening like bucky's just kind of off to the sides of the bike it's not clear if he was on the bike two or not and but then the bike is kind of flying through the air and bucky's jumping and yeah there's a lot going on and i'm not it sure feels exactly. like he, bucky's supposed to be jumping off the bike which makes no sense but also right the distance is just wrong the the other thing that i find weird with this is like cap is like a hundred percent sure bucky's dead like he's like bucky definitely died and i feel mm-hmm. very guilty it's a weird we just take it as like oh i guess he knows but like the scene is not that clear to me that you'd know of course he blows up like I, I don't know why you would it's just something to happen and move on so cap has some like emo thing to be worried about you know mm-hmm. it's, it's gordon he knows it in his heart he feels it in his heart <laughs> that that bucky is gone so 
you know, that's, but Rick that's, Jones that's is here. But Rick Jones is here. Rick Jones will always be there for you. Uh, well, until <laughs> new new sidekick, new hero. I, it's a it's a crazy situation. And I, I and know. I guess Rick Jones looks like exactly like Bucky is what we get out of this. I don't know if that's ever that is what it said, but I don't really right. buy it. It's certainly not functionally true. It doesn't and seem to be true. Yeah, in, in any history, other comic, I don't know if I'd say it's yeah. true either. Yeah, it's like a delusion right. of caps or something. I think so. Yeah, it, it's just he's a generic young teenage guy with brown hair, and you know that's what that's what Bucky was. I guess you know if John Byrne had drawn him. Everybody might look exactly the same. It's exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> like characters from the eighties tend to be. <laughs> they sh- John Byrne should have came through time to do this. So he'd be like, oh yeah, that's the same dude. <laughs> <laughs> the Avengers find this block of ice in a submarine underwater. Not entirely sure why they're there. Maybe they're following Namor. They find out it's Captain America. Captain America thaws out. He explains the thing about Bucky. When they get to shore is kind of where this comic takes like a really like a left turn. And they're talking to all this. They're talking to the media and they all just turn to, to stone, which was like amazing to me because I had never heard about this. And I was just like, I, why? I, I, I will throw in here as well. Cap decides to take a nap. He's just yes. like, I'm going to sleep right. in here. You guys go out there. And then we have a we have a news conference of the Avengers where I don't think they mention Cap. They're just like, we're no, back. that's then the they scoop. They're the like, during the league. Yeah. Really, and uh, Brian Cronin talks about this in his discussion of the Avenger issues on comic book resources, where it's just like everyone's like, ah, this is some type of marketing scam. They're trying to sell us something by making Avenger statues. <laughs> right. You're like, like what? Yeah, it's so crazy. Like they're yeah. just like, ah, Avengers must have escaped and put statues here for some reason. It's if there was ever thing. evidence of comic book writers and artists not really having good business sense, this is the issue to go to because this seems like a very elaborate plot to just sell what would amount to toys of the Avengers, right? Like, <laughs> right, Seth. Avenger statues for your yeah. lawn, lawn ornaments. I'd buy. Yes, them. yeah. You know, and and some weird looking like broccoli looking alien. Did anybody else think that this alien looked like it was like a living piece of broccoli? Oh, yes. And so interesting. Yeah. So interesting thing about this alien. I I thought it looked kind of familiar and I looked into it. So its species is called the Dabari. And so there's a famous X-Men comic in the Dark Phoenix saga where (laughs) the Phoenix is coming into Jean's becoming the Dark Phoenix, coming into her like Mm -hmm. full dark power, evil power. And she eats this star. And in the solar system where that star is, there's this planet full of a bunch of green broccoli people. And they all they're all consumed by the fire of the star that she's eating. (laughs) This character is that's where this character is from. Like this is the first time these aliens appear is is in this uh, Avengers 4 comic. And then John Byrne later on draws them into this planet that the phoenix like destroys question so So did gene gray avenge the avengers being put into stone (laughs) by destroying the planet i maybe that's why she did it i'm not sure but she's uh, the greatest avenger right right and (laughs) i was just care of business man taking out people in avengers 4 it's insane no (laughs) a bit too much of a reaction you might argue but but yeah my favorite part about this this particular (laughs) alien is at one point he's held by, I forget which Avenger, but he says, I hate being around lesser beings, right? Like the broccoli guy thinks that everybody else is a lesser being and cannot physically stand being touched by, by lesser beings, which is why he's willing to help Namor. That, that's, what, that's what he was promised. Namor was like, oh, I'm going to give you your ship and then you can 
you can leave and get out of here. Which is, I mean, it's just an incredibly convoluted plot for like a single issue. This story, the story would have been at least three issues in in the modern day, probably longer. Right, you know? right. The 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 broccoli man would have his own six issue arc, probably. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> well, and Cap just decides to do stuff right away. Weird Avenger statues. This is probably strange. Let me go find Rick Jones. There's a great scene inside. I remember when I read this, I had sent you, I had sent you a picture of it. He just looks at the uh, picture of the news people and he's like, it's been 20 years, but somebody wouldn't use a camera like that. Dude's been around for 10 minutes in the modern era. And he apparently is an expert on what camera technology would not have went in 20 years. It is, it's a weird situation. Yeah, it, it's, you know, like the Captain America comic, it's like we got to get quickly to the broccoli people. Cap mm-hmm. can't be like, hmm, I'm going to go explore things or deal with my grief. It's like, we better get going, find the broccoli people. Mm-hmm. That, that's definitely something Stan Lee put in the notes. Get get to the broccoli people fast. <laughs> yeah. Kirby, you do most of the writing. I'll take all the credit. That's <laughs> at least how I think it went. Stan definitely created that that broccoli character. And and kill them. Kill yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. And, and then right. randomly they put in that the broccoli creature is the basis for Medusa in yes. in greek myth which is which is just bananas like what you don't have to say that you could just say that he's here but no he's been here thousands of years and is apparently part of our mythology oh, eternals eternals kirby's eternals loves to do that where they're like cersei is really this person but in the marvel universe most of these people actually exist so you're like oh it's the hydra dude the hydra's a different person it's such a weird thing that they try to claim all the myths like gilgamesh is supposedly most of the heroes across time you're like dude most of those people are like as guardians they're part of zeus's they're part of a group already don't claim everything for yourself gilgamesh you're the forgotten one buddy you're forgotten for a reason that's right <laughs> Right. Oh my God. They don't spend too much time with Captain America kind of adjusting in this comic. You know, he's been on ice for at this point, I guess, 20 years. And he, you know, he just kind of wanders around a little bit and says, Hey, fashion has changed. There's what's this building. He's like looking at the UN. Does he wear uh, anything other than his uniform in the, in this, in this issue? Because all I could think was, man, this guy needs a shower and he needs some new clothes. Yeah, I don't think he ever showers. Yeah, you're right. I, I didn't even think of that, but you're right. He's like, you would think <laughs> so he would want that. that. Yeah. How does but, the ice uh, keep him okay? Like, is this supposedly the super soldier forum plus ice equals you don't smell, apparently, but also like you don't die? Like, I don't know. I don't know if I understand the science is all. That's what we're supposed to take out of this. Yeah, he yeah. was just frozen and that's why he he's okay. Yeah. The, the super soldier serum is actually Axe body spray. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's their dark secret i can understand why they keep it a secret well this alien does not have good social skills because he's been around for like a thousand years he has <laughs> zero friends and it's oh. and if your first friend is then namor you're you're doing something wrong namor is famously the cooler guy than namor just look, <laughs> look at those wings on his stuff that dude that dude is fly this is what i'm saying namor's he... the only friend you need sign oh yeah <laughs> That that's you know the next when when they do the Namor spinoff movie they'll have like a you know Sebastian the Crab style song where Namor sings about being the best friend for for anybody. <laughs> Hashtag Namor forever. That's yeah. all I'm saying. It's kind of true though because he teams up with the so I think in the issue before this he he teamed up with the Hulk and fought the Avengers. He's teamed up with uh, Magneto before. He teams up with Doctor Doom at different points. He's kind of like a 
an all-purpose team-up guy, you know, whether you're a hero, villain, he'll, he'll well, you know. Well, he sleeps he around. My understanding right. is that Namor also gets with a lot of the ladies, and then in later issues, he ends up, like, hooking up with, like, Atlanteans that look like monsters. I don't know if anybody remembers this. There's, like, a panel where he's, like, making out with what looks like a monster. So he's, you know, he's open to all people. You know, he's a groovy guy. I right. think that there's a missed opportunity here with Cap and Namor, right? Because they actually, like, know each other, theoretically. It, yeah, it, it should be, like, like, a huge moment in theory. I would say that they just didn't know that, but they did. They must have known that. And also, they do reference it, too, because, I like, there is a dialogue bubble where Captain America says something like, oh, Namor, that sounds familiar. And it's like, dude, you've teamed up with them. You fought Nazis with them. What are you, what are you talking about? But... Maybe his memory is not quite there from... from There's a little out. bit of this idea that he doesn't have his full memory, although I don't think Namor has... Other than his own arrogance, I don't think he has memory issues. Maybe yeah, he Namor... remember the little people like Cap. I don't know. Yeah, he should have been like, oh, hey, Cap, what's what's up? But... Maybe Namor is like Dory from Finding Nemo. Maybe. I need the Namor-like-Dory crossover. Make it happen, there, Disney. You know, there is something with these, these franchises, too, of the passage of time. Because there's been so many retroactive like invader stories and Cap and Namor during World War II stories where it's just Sinai, so we're talking about this with the Obi-Wan Kenobi series where it's just like as you add more and more, it's like, I haven't seen you, Darth, since last week at the picnic in season seven. You know, that's what's that's what's going to happen in New Hope. You know, it, the timeline just keeps getting filled with events until it's like every day has been filled out across their whole lives. Of like, and so then it becomes completely hard to believe. Oh yeah, they wouldn't. Have, this wouldn't have come up in our discussion. You know, it's it's interesting how that works. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, that is true. But uh, but yeah, the comic pretty much just ends with the Avengers fighting Namor and the Atlanteans. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say with this, it's interesting because it really does set up everybody. You might not remember who Bucky is. He's dead. He's always dead. It's been twenty years. Cap's sad. That's what matters. Cap's got a new Bucky. We're done. And so it definitely doesn't seem like Bucky's going to make a comeback. We just had to like let people know we got this cool Captain America. This And the issue says this will be a collectible someday or whatever. Stan says buy multiples. or mm-hmm. But Bucky is just there for the plot element. No agency. He does nothing. He just gets fridged off screen. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be gone forever. Who cares? Right? So it's kind of, it's an interesting... From a Bucky perspective, it's just his death is what's important, kind of like Uncle Ben mm-hmm. um, with, with this hair. So I think Uncle Ben's coming back is my feeling. He's 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 going to be a, the superhero. He'll be uh, he's going to be the or something. I don't know. No, he's going to be the next Spider <laughs> Slayer. The the ironic twist. He's going to be the next Spider Slayer. That's what you I was know, thinking. Yeah, he's gonna, either either that or they'll they'll say that he was the one that freed oh. the spider that 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 bit Peter. You know, they're, oh, they're that'd be great. Well, that I think be, Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben being Norman Osborn the whole time would be great. Like talking about right. the long time. <laughs> yeah, great power, great responsibility. It's all me. It's all me. <laughs> the green guy. <laughs> Any last thoughts on Avengers Four? The Avengers are fun. I like the guys. The team is pretty good the wasp is not used well and i i really don't ever want to see hank pym frankly but you know it's you know it's got that dynamic that when you think of the avengers it's there like cap and iron man and thor uh and some other people brought together Mm. and they do stuff you know there's a team and so it's really interesting to think about the avengers kind of coalescing around their core 
you know, so early. Again, I don't think there's good comics really until the vision comes up. You got Vision and Black Panther start to make the series better, but but the core, a big core dynamic is kind of there, yeah. very early. That will be big. The seventies and eighties; those guys are really important to the team. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with Cap and Iron Man and Thor is like the focus, and that's what becomes the MCU Avengers is a big focus on on these guys. Is there a clear? leader of the avengers at this point so that's actually very interesting because one of the one of the things that happens in this issue is that i would say that by the end everybody seems to almost anoint captain america as the leader right like there's this it's not explicitly stated but it's like oh we want to make a proposal to you cap we want you to be part of the team and you can already get a sense that he's going to be leading this team very soon because everybody respects him you know, from Thor to Iron Man, you know, uh, everybody seems to to have a positive view of, you know, of Steve Rogers. And, you know, obviously they're they're ready to give him uh, their their young mascot to be his sidekick. So what what better yeah. tribute? Yeah, and it's interesting because the early Avengers are so bad at working together. And we're talking about an Iron Man who's a lot closer to like, you know, a weapons monger. And mm-hmm. you've got Thor who's you know, doc, the doctor and this and all that and not nearly as much. So like it's these characters are not really leaders in any real sense at an early point in this book. Mm. And they kind of have like we rotate leadership, you know, every week. Somebody's the chairman and you've got them. They often fight their villains kind of one on one. And so Cap really is kind of the first character that's kind of like leadership might be something that they do. Because it's been kind of like, you know, Hulk was a member and now he's fighting them. And now Hulk is teaming up with somebody else. And so it's sort of like the leadership part to me is really lacking. Uh, And they mostly just fight with each other. You know, the second issue when Hulk leaves is the space phantom causes some tension, but they're ready to insult each other at a drop of the hat all the time Mm -hmm. uh, in this series. They're not buds. They're just like, we're together for some reason. I guess we just needed a book. Stan needed to write something because Daredevil was delayed or whatever. It's mm-hmm. just a, there's just like not a good reason for them to be together. Like Fantastic Four has or mm-hmm. the X Men has. They're they're just we got we got stories in in the various anthologies. We're gonna put those guys together. So it's it's a weird fit to my mind. Yeah, I agree. I guess that's kind of the Marvel storytelling at this point. There's there's a lot of arguments and everything's a little bit different than you might expect from. Mm-hmm from superhero teams people have had seen before this. Yeah. Because when you watch movies or you watch something, it, it, you're always kind of more drawn, I, I think, I don't know, or I find myself more drawn to, to the person who does less, so so to speak, you know, because you're, we're always trying to kind of understand what's happening. And I think when you play a character that doesn't, um, <laughs> that doesn't speak so much, then, um, it just gives the audience more of an opportunity to kind of throw their own ideas and projections onto the character. And then I think they get more fascinated by that, weirdly. In the lead up to our next issue, the Red Skull has found the Cosmic Cube, which isn't good. Before he is able to use it, however, a mysterious assassin kills him and steals the reality-manipulating device. Captain America sets out to investigate this strange turn of events, and while doing so, memories resurface in his mind. We find out new details about Bucky. He wasn't just a random teenager who saw Cap dressing. He was actually specially trained to do the things Cap, as a symbol, couldn't. We get more details about their final mission as well. Before the fateful drone explosion, Baron Zemo captured them, 
and forced Cap to watch Bucky be tortured. He also remembers a mission in Russia where he met a comrade Karpov who bore a grudge against him and Bucky for their interference in one of his operations. While attempting to unravel the conspiracy and find the cube, Cap confronts the assassin named the Winter Soldier. After this first encounter, Nick Fury shows Cap documentation of someone who looks like an older Bucky near the sites of assassinations around the world. Fury concludes that this figure and the Winter Soldier are one and the same, that Cap's former sidekick is the assassin now pitted against him. But how could it be true? We find out in Captain America, America. Volume 5, Number 11. Written by Ed Brubaker, penciled and inked by Steve Epting, with additional inks by Mike Perkins, colored by Frank D'Armada, and lettered by Randy Gentile. Steve Rogers walks up the stairs of his secret residence in Brooklyn, New York City, and spots a mysterious secret file on the table where he keeps his secret mail. The file is labeled Project Winter Soldier Confidential Files. Steve asks his secret shield-issued Alexa to read him out a security report, but according to the surveillance software, no one besides him has been in or out of the building. How did this file get here, then? The first note in the file is dated May 5, 1945, and simply titled, Doctor's Notes. It details how the physician aboard Comrade Karpov's submarine determined the subject's immersion in freezing water possibly saved his life, preventing him from bleeding out from the loss of his left arm and other wounds. The doctor theorized that reports of the subject being on the plane when it exploded must be false presumptions. More likely he was in the proximity of the explosion, but probably 20 feet away. Comrade Karpov insisted that they attempt to save the lad as he assumed the super soldier serum could be extracted from his blood. More notes follow, and it's a series of good news, bad news situations. Good news is they can thaw him out. Bad news is he's dead. Good news is they can resuscitate him. Bad news he doesn't remember anything. But good news is he has retained knowledge, such as his fighting skills in four languages, including Russian. Bad news is Karpov was full of shit. Blood tests confirm Bucky is plain old human, no super soldier serum. Not knowing what to do with a one-armed amnesiac sidekick, they placed him on ice again until they could figure it out. The next series of notes in the file are very different. They're signed by Karpov himself, now Major General Karpov, head of Special Section Department X, and the first one is dated June 1954. Basically, they stuck a robot arm on him. It's like a really advanced robot arm. And then they stuck his head into this wiry helmet doohickey and brainwashed him into becoming their special operative. They sent him on a test run, and turns out he was pretty good. He mingled with US and UK servicemen at a Berlin nightclub and killed a bunch of them afterward all while remaining completely covert. The Winter Soldier assassinated key targets around the world at the direction of Special Section Department X, leaving only whispers and rumors in his wake. However, psychological evaluations determined that his mental state was unstable, as if there was a part of his old self attempting to resurface. The department puts him on ice between assignments, re-brainwashing him before every mission. But in 1973, after a successful kill, the man once named Bucky went AWOL. He boarded a bus and headed to New York City, where he remained off-grid for two weeks. Upon recapture, they determined to exclude him from missions on U.S. soil when possible. In some of the last notes in the file, Karpov explains how he took the Winter Soldier with him to the Middle East. He never forgave Captain America for embarrassing him during World War II, and it gave him pleasure to see his sidekick work against the U.S.'s interests. Finally, the last note reports that in 1988, after Karpov's death, the Winter Soldier was semi-retired and placed in long-time stasis. Steve takes this all in. It's kind of a lot. He calls Nick Fury. Then he looks out the window, black and white memories flowing through his head. They're watching a newsreel in a theater, him and Bucky, 
and their civilian clothes, on a week's leave. Bucky's spirits are high, seeing how the audience loves them, but Steve brings the mood down, reminding them of the soldiers that died that day, of how no one's cheering for them. You are real cut up, Steve, Bucky says. Sometimes I think if you didn't have me, there wouldn't be a single person in the world who really understood you. The words echo in Steve's head as he sits on his couch in his apartment, classified papers scattered across the floor, hands covering his face. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of an interesting issue. So there's definitely more action-packed issues that come before this. This is him kind of just reading through a file. Really, yeah. You really get the, but it, you do get the whole history of kind of how they found Bucky and why they wanted to save him and why they wanted to design him into this soldier to use for, mm. for their causes. So this was a big flashback for me, actually, because I remember I was buying Captain America monthly when Brubaker and Epting were, were doing this book. And this was like one of the big books that I was following. And I really enjoyed it because the series is more like a Tom Clancy novel. At this point, this, this particular run is very much Tom Clancy. And the way that this is set up, it's very much like, you know, every now and again in a, in a spy novel, you have a chapter where you go through a bunch of files and, and they take you step by step through the genesis of a particular character. So I thought that was this was really cool and it was very, very interesting. And they made some subtle changes. I think Gordon, you mentioned the age. They definitely yeah. hint here in this in this issue that he's older. And I think they mentioned that he's a sharpshooter. You see Bucky use a gun at one point, which he didn't really do yeah. in the in the original comics. And then there's a hint in this, and I can't remember if this is actually confirmed or not, that he has super soldier serum. That that's why he's able to survive in in the ice similar to cap the russian doctor that's whose notes we're reading seems to say like oh is this you know does he have super soldier serum is that why he's such a big fighter is that why he's able to survive in the ice and it's kind of, it's interesting the the way the the progress in the story you know they give you little details that you don't get in the earlier stories like they go through all the different trials like they do a little run where he's just walking and and goes to a club and doesn't get noticed just to see if he's able to be normal so you really get a lot of granular details about the process that bucky goes through uh, and i think that helps us to better understand kind of the pathos of what he goes through and and why it's important for a cap to bring him back yeah they also talk about that in even at the time of world war ii they're like we need bucky because he's gonna do the things that cap can't like he's yeah. you know he's gonna i don't know kill dudes or whatever which is a really weird angle to add on from a historical perspective i think the so it's kind of like you're like winter soldier was an assassin but the the 16 year old kid we had during world war ii like was kind of on this path already which i don't think they lean into as much because i do think it complicates cap and makes him complicit in you know like he's bringing a 12 year old untrained into battle to fight villains in captain america comics one which is bad but this is weird, bad in a different way where we're taking a 16-year-old and he's the one who gets his hands dirty so that Cap doesn't have to do it during World War II is, I don't know if it's worse, but it's definitely prob differently problematic uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of saying it. It, I thought that was strange too. But so it, whereas Captain America Comics 1 kind of almost feels like a propaganda piece, like this, yeah. this, this kind of seems Ed Brubaker's trying to say like, well, this is what it would actually be because this is war. And so if they were going to 
hire this kid to be Captain America's their best soldier's sidekick, he would have to bring something to the table. And so he's trying to kind of say like, yeah. well, maybe he's maybe he's doing the things Cap can't do because he's this symbol. And yeah, it, it's a it's an interesting angle for sure. I gotta say, I, I like where Bucky has went in the comics and the MCU. Uh, and it's really crazy to think if the Captain America movie had been made earlier, there's no way Bucky would have been in it. He wouldn't have been involved because this was such a different thing. But I, I don't really like Bucky here much at all. And I, and it's to me, it's crazy that he's become so important and so meaningful because, again, he's a character with no agency here, right? We took mm-hmm. the kid. He's just our assassin. And he doesn't even get to uh, later on. And I, I read like... These decompressed issues, you can read about like 20 in like five minutes because they're just like images of like three words on a page. Mm -hmm. But at the end, they're just like, oh, we're going to give his memories back with a cosmic cube. And there's no agency like Bucky doesn't do anything. It's just Cap gets to wince. And then we're like, all right, we'll give you back your memories. You don't have any agency over it. The end. And so he's really just a prop in the storyline. I think it's great that he's become a real meaningful character. But to me, it's a bummer. Like all these issues are a pretty big bummer for Bucky as mm-hmm. somebody who can make choices in his own life. He He's a prop for Cap yet again within this storyline in my mind. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that part of it is that we're also bringing back a character that many people didn't think they were going to bring back. And I think they were going for that shock value. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if it if it leaked when, when I was reading the Brubaker run but there were a lot of hints about it being Bucky. And I remember Brubaker in interviews later on say he said that he had this idea for a long time that Bucky, that he knew how he wanted to bring Bucky back. And he was going for that like Thunderbolts level shocker twist that, oh, this is, this is the, you know, this is the, the friend you lost all these years ago. He's back. Mm. I think it's also, even though the story is decompressed, I think they're trying to go for a little story efficiency because the point of Bucky at this at this stage is maybe that the Russians are just using him as a prop, and that's ultimately like you know America used him as a prop, but he he could make independent choices and wasn't put in put in ice for years at a time. But it, I think there's also a parallel there between how big governments use experimental soldiers, which is the Soviet Union isn't that much worse than than America in in terms of how they're using these soldiers and. Ultimately, that's also something that Brubaker talks a lot about in his in his Cap run, because he kind of envisions Cap as more of a, envisions the story more as an espionage story. And that's really interesting because that comes into the MCU, right? When you get Captain America, the Winter Soldier, that's the MCU version of Three Days of the Condor or, you know, mm-hmm. some spy movie. And that carries over into other things about Hawkeye and Scarlet, I mean, um, Black Widow, where they're more spies than they are anything else, right? So that that's definitely something that I think Brubaker brought to the table, rather than which the reverse, which happens in Captain America Comics One, where he's like a superhero who happens to be in the army. He he sometimes mm. slices potatoes when he doesn't have to fight the Red Skull. You know, I feel like Brubaker does a good job of making this seem reasonable when the idea of Captain America and espionage is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. You get this guy <laughs> wearing the American flag costume that's like, oh. I'm really hardcore. I, I'm a spy. You're like, dude, get a real outfit. Like, I don't know. Like, Nick Fury Nick Fury's a weird spy in the sense he's got a very noticeable eye patch and smoking that. Like, everybody knows who Nick Fury is. But, like, 
Cap is a weird spy. Like, I think Brubaker makes you believe it in like that it makes sense, but it really does not make sense if you think about it, to my mind. And I actually thought I would like this better. And I have read some of this Brubaker run before, but it just it feels actually almost more dated than the other stuff and just in different ways. Right. And yeah. this really decompressed style. It's got the like photorealistic images type stuff that we see the biggest parody version with like Greg Land and his, you know, <laughs> his use of stealing images all over the place. Right. And so it just really feels like that era so much, which is interesting. Like the other two do as well, but the timelessness of Avengers 4 feels more to me than this one, which is just so much of that era. Like, I just feel like Bendis is going to just pop out and be like, hey, guys, I'm here. This is my time. Like, it just feels like that era so much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's definitely part of the decompression era. And especially... It, it's very jarring to read it because we burned through a ton of story in those first two issues that we read. And then in the third one, we, we maybe inch along a little bit. We move, move the needle a little bit, you mm -hmm. know, uh, in, in another, you know, from another era, it would have just been a page of Cap reading the, the file. And then he would go off and try to find Bucky. You know, that would be, that would be the story. Right. Yeah. The, like six of these issues would all be, I'll be one issue, right? Yeah. 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 I, I think that I think the writing's pretty good, but if you take a step back, it's just had you not read any of this and you just kind of hear the concept of bringing Bucky back to life with a robot arm, like it sounds like a parody, right? It sounds ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And so I think they do a pretty good job in the sense that the comic, as I read it, it doesn't seem ridiculous until I until I kind of take a step back from it. Well, I think there's a lesson here that I think also goes with the MCU, which is the MCU has been able to bring in a lot of characters that we wouldn't normally think that people would bring in by just taking the concept seriously, right? Like mm -hmm. I know a lot of people, they, they say, well, the MCU makes a lot of winking jokes and they say, you know, they have jokes like, oh, well, that just happened and things like that. But with internally within the logic of the of the movies they at least give respect to those characters and say yeah this can really exist we're gonna go with it just accept it and i think that's something that brubaker does really well he just says like yeah he's an assassin he lost his arm this is what it is and he grounds everything in a in a consistent tone that yeah. so that we're kind of like yeah i accept this sure well and i sure. think what is what is realism in stories because mm -hmm. you get people complaining about aspects of the MCU and things of things being not realistic while you also have thunder gods. Um, but I feel like there's a lot of sort of the character emotional realism of like, I, I would think these superheroes would probably be a little cynical. They probably would not get along. They'd probably make fun of the tropes a little bit of what's going on, um, which I think is sort of the other part when you talk about how do we make comics serious and for adults where we have their traditional DC ideas with Dark Knight Returns and all of this of and Watchmen to some degree of like, ah, it's gritty. People are dying and everything's dark. Superheroes are bad. And that that's what adult means. And I think to me, uh, and Cy and I disagree on this some, but the DC superhero movie universe, right, is like, uh, Superman killed a dude. This is for adults, man. And it's just, uh, to me, it, it doesn't make it more realistic. It makes it unrealistic just in a different way. And it doesn't emotionally feel good. 
Marvel's really come up with a way to make these things connected, even though different writers, different characters, different goals that kind of coherently keeps characters together and makes them seem like they're part of a universe. Well, it's kind of like if we make all the DC characters dark, if Plastic Man is hardcore, he fits in with everybody else. And it just doesn't, to me, it just doesn't really work very well with what the characters do. Well, we can have different characters. We can have Miss Marvel like this. We can have Loki over here. And they've got some through line of similarity, but not that they're all the same dark and broody character which seems to be what the through line often wants to be with DC. They don't have fun. If you don't have fun, that's the character of everybody. That's what makes it real and engaging. And that's comics are fun, man. We, we need some of that fun and that silver age stuff, even that golden age, there's just wacky things. And like, you're just like, all right, this, uh, this wasn't very realistic, but it was kind of fun. Why is there these broccoli people? Why did John Byrne add in broccoli people to die? Why did, when we introduced Galactus, did Kirby add in the Silver Surfer? He's just like, ah, I think this guy would have a herald that would fall around on a surfboard. That's crazy. <laughs> it don't make yeah. any sense, but it ends yeah. up being interesting and having a huge impact on stuff. It's 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 just, it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I actually agree. I think the, so one of the big complaints that people have about the MCU is that it's, they you know, the movies look the same or they seem the same. I think that they do... A good job of kind of keeping things tonally consistent across films and i think it's easier to think about the mcu as being kind of a weird tv show that has like super long episodes that could release once every three to four months rather than traditional films right because when you look at those early pre-mcu movies they look like they're made by you know like the tim burton batman doesn't look like it could be made by anybody else it's like Tim Burton's going to make that and that's it. Kind of the same thing with, you know, with some of the other Marvel movies, Blade. Nobody nobody else except Stephen Norrington was going to make Blade and Guillermo del Toro was the only one that's going to make Blade 2. And I think that that's one of the one of the things that's is really cool about comic books. You can have these various different tones and textures. They can all exist in the same world as long as you have that consistent uh, consistency. Uh, I think one of the one of the complaints I hear sometimes about the MCU is that they try to be too jokey, maybe. But I, I mean, I think it works for the most part. And I think especially the the Cap stuff. If you had told me that there would be three really good Captain America movies in like the '90s, if you'd come to me as like a high schooler and be like, "Hey, you know, you're gonna get three really good Captain America movies," I would be like, "Get the hell out of here." There's no way that that's going to happen. You know, Captain America is not a character that translates well to the screen, but they really did it. And I, I think that's impressive. But I think that the Brubaker uh, material, I think that really serves as, a, as the inspiration for that. Some of the Greg Land, like photorealistic artwork, all this stuff and that, that serious tone, not the darkness necessarily of the tone, but the possibility um, that Cap could function, you know, in, in more of a, a not necessarily purely realistic but in a you know a, a format that's much more realistic than uh than the the 90s cap movie which is just ridiculous right so i think never... i think that's that's interesting and important and that satisfies fans because i think fans didn't want a batman 66 batman and robin style anything right nobody wanted you know no, nobody really wanted a pow zoom version of captain america but everybody could kind of get get behind this spy version of of captain america existing adam west is captain america just throwing it out there i'd watch it 
Maybe the only one. Honestly, the Cap- Captain America comics one cap could be played by Adam West, hundred percent. You know, the uh, word is as Bucky as Bucky. Yeah, exactly. You know, you little rascal, get getting away from me. How? <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, the I mean, the Winter Soldier movie is, I think, one of the the best MCU yeah. movies. Just mm-hmm. in just in terms of structure and pacing and, and all of that, it's just a good just a good movie it, it could have been like you could have replaced captain america with you know like a james bond character or something in that movie and it would have it's kind of cool to see a movie that can function as both a superhero movie but as something else at the same time one um, of the things i was going to say as well is the question of seriousness is there's sort of like to take comics serious we have to be serious about it but i think in day-to-day life we're just not serious. We've got a joke. It's enjoyable. So like Cy and I teach classes to people. We help people to be better leaders. We help them to have better careers as managers, uh, you know, as psychologists. But we also are very joke. We make jokes. We have fun times. Life is not all doom and gloom. And that's not what it means to be successful. That's not what's going to help people to do better in life. And I, I think that's something the MCU gets pretty well. We can have huge moments. We can have tragic moments in these films. But we also do have people with their joking moments and, you know, more casual moments. Yeah, good stuff. Any kind of final thoughts about the Winter Soldier, Captain America, this comic? You know, this was this was like a real interesting kind of 360 degree view of like comics history, right? Mm-hmm. Where it all started to, to where it kind of has ended up. It's, it's very interesting to see where these characters that existed so long ago, when we bring them back into the modern era, how different they are. But some of the core elements are there, but they're really up, updated and upgraded in different ways. And I, I think that's kind of fun that there is so much history and that you can see such a big difference from era to era. But I think that's also what makes comics kind of cool. Some of it can be like part of the historical record and can kind of show you, oh, here's what the tropes were at the time in the 60s and 70s and the 80s, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what to bring back is a big question. You know, we see that with Grant Morrison and Batman and Superman of this these weird stories he read, you know, as a kid or as a young adult and then, they're part of Batman now. And I think that there's some of that, you know, we get a very salient one of the Grant Morrison, but here in the MCU, you get that as well. Like, how would we bring back Bucky? What would we do? And these characters come back, you know, I remember growing up with Spider-Man, the Clone Wars, and then being like, Poochie's dead forever, essentially with, uh, with <laughs> Ben Riley. They're like, you hated it. We hate it now too. That dude's dead. You know, he's not the real Spider-Man. You know, they, they retconned the whole thing. And now it's like, Oh, 90s kids grew up. They want Ben Riley again and he's doing stuff, you know. Right. It's just really interesting how that works in comics is people come back and want to and want to do that that stuff. They these characters are of interest to them. They so many characters come back and become important again uh in in the comics, which is it's interesting renewal with new versions. Like this Bucky is very different. Than that original one, he's different than the one we see in Avengers, uh, and he's a very useful character. He's an interesting character in the movies mm-hmm. and in the comics. And so, yeah, anybody could get brought back and be, be, be interesting, be useful, be somebody that that matters in in these universes. And I think that's that's really cool and shows kind of how these characters are have depth that we don't always think about. 
Yeah, that, that's what's cool about Marvel Comics is that everything that was in any Marvel comic happened until until writer deliberately says, actually, this is what really happened. They do some kind of retcon. But until that happens, every everything, if you you know, you pick up any Marvel comic, it all happened. And, it, and there's a lot of contradictions and stuff, but it's all part of the, the history and the universe, whereas, you know, DC, you know, they'll they'll reset the universe every, you know, decade or so. But Marvel is just kind of all there and messy, just kind of in a pile. But yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining me. Cy, Gordon, where can people find you if you want to talk more about your book? Go ahead. So I think people can find me on Twitter at I-O-S-Y-I-S-L-A-M, I-O-S-Y-I-S-L-A-M. I spend a lot of time on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn as well if you, you know. This is this is a callback to something we said in another podcast. So so in joke for just being Gordon. <laughs> so yeah, you can you can yeah. find us there. We I you know we're I'm not on TikTok and I'm not on not really on Instagram in any substantive way. But those are the two places you can find me. The book you can find anywhere you can get books. So when when the book our book came out, Gordon and I did some searches, and I think Gordon you found it at Walmart. On the Walmart, Walmart website. online, it's it's there. Yeah. Amazon, it's Amazon, yeah. Barnes, Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble. Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah. can order it all over the place online. Yeah. So, yeah. And so I covered most yeah. stuff on Twitter. I'm I'm at IO Psychology, and so I talk about psychology, the workplace, future of work, mm-hmm. and now quite a bit about comics <laughs> as yeah. well. So that's that's interesting. It's fun to be able to do more of that stuff mm-hmm. since this is an area I've always I've always enjoyed, and now it's kind of part of my work which is weird uh, and kind of cool but yeah our, our, our book helps you to be a better leader through yeah. these examples of marvel movies and we pair each chapter teaches a concept it, it pairs it with a movie so you talk about black panther uh, and some of his leadership and how you emerge as a leader and then we also have you reflect on your own experiences so that you can be a better leader so watch marvel movies become a better leader seems like a great thing to pick up for less than $30, you know, a great, a great deal to my mind, but I am the author. So I'm a little biased, but, but I think it's a fun way to learn this stuff uh, overall and watching more Marvel movies is always fun to my mind. So I agree. I'm always watching these movies, just saying, I I wish I could learn anything out of these. And uh, now I can. So (laughs) thank you. A a doctor said you learn from them and you should watch two doctors. Two doctors. There we go. Feel free to say that. Don't say what we're doctors of. That would be complicated. Right. (laughs) So, yeah. Thank you again so much. I'll I'll be reading your book. I hope other people do, too. And yeah. Thanks for having us. Great night. Yeah. Great to be here. A lot of fun. You can find Not a Hoax, Not a Dream anywhere podcasts are found. And while you're there, you can give us a five star review. Find all our social medias in the show notes, including the Patreon, where you can support the show for a dollar a month and enjoy exclusive extra stuff. Next episode drops on Thanksgiving. It will be the first time we cover a character outside of the big two, Marvel and DC. If you've been paying attention, you know who that is, but if not, feel free to come in surprised. Until then, I hope that unlike Namor, somewhere in the vast endless depths of the ocean, you find peace. See ya. Thank you.